T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. From KCBS Radio, I'm Mallory Samara, in for Matt Pittman, and this is Bay Current for Thursday, May 12th. This song is called Bayanko. It's a Filipino protest song written in light of the Philippine-American War and the U.S. occupation to follow. This time, it's being sung in front of the Philippine Consulate in San Francisco at 447 Sutter Street. On Monday night, over 200 people gathered in front of the consulate with raised fists, outraged speeches, and the blue and red flags of various local activist groups like the Malaya Movement and the San Francisco State University's League of Filipino Students waving in the air. This so-called vigil for democracy was in response to this week's presidential election in the Philippines. Earlier this week, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., also known as Bong Bong, the son of the late dictator Ferdinand Marcos Sr., won the presidential election in the Philippines. And his elected vice president, the daughter of the current embattled president, Rodrigo Duterte, who's spurred investigations from the International Crime Court for his deadly drug war. The results have been feared by Filipinos and the diaspora for quite some time, especially after six years of Duterte's rule. So how did two such controversial names win the ballot? In this episode of Bay Current, we'll hear about the overhauling misinformation campaigns plaguing the Philippines and its suspicious Election Day technical glitches. We'll also hear from speakers and attendees from Monday night's rally for a clean and honest election in front of the consulate. Sige in Tagalog is a way of saying goodbye, or go along. It's a typical departing phrase. But it's said that under 14 years of Ferdinand Marcos Sr.'s martial law, Ingat became the word of goodbye. Ingat means careful out there. Historians say that it was also the last word said among those meeting to plan the ways in which they could possibly end Marcos's dictatorship, because chances were they'd meet once again in a prison cell, at a torture house, or at a wake. The 20 years under his rule are remembered by many as some of the most horrific years in the Philippines, until one fateful day in 1986. 
After embezzling an estimated $5 to $10 billion from the country and its people, 35,000 people tortured, 70,000 incarcerations, and over 3,000 deaths, a people-led uprising drew his entire family into exile. It's a lot of history, and honestly, the best way to dive into it is by either watching Lauren Greenfield's The Kingmaker or by going to YouTube and searching for John Oliver's Last Week Tonight segment on the Philippine elections. Anyway, now the son of the very man who brought fear to the country has been elected president. The results are not shocking. Um but they are worrisome. James Sarsadias is associate professor of history and director of the Yuchenko Philippine Studies Program at University of San Francisco. The Philippine presidency is, compared to the United States, for folks who don't know, uh, is longer. Uh, it's a six-year term. Uh, they can't run for re-election, but it is a six-year term. So that's why, in many respects, this election and the results are uh, monumental. Broadly speaking, there's a bit of concern about what a Marcos presidency will be, considering Bongbong's kind of family history and ties, notably his father, Ferdinand Marcos, who is seen by most folks, even some of his supporters, as someone who led a dictatorial presidency and raises a lot of concerns about what the future of the Philippine democracy will look like. Um, there's already been a lot of concerns over the last six years with Rodrigo Duterte, and fears that what he has done is kind of brought the Philippines back to a time in which corruption was widespread. Um, that's not to say that it, was, it went away, but it has been uh, exacerbated uh, in the last several years, along with concerns around human rights violations and just basic questions in the tenets of human rights and democratic governance. It's just interesting because what you have here in the United States, right, is you have this like sort of push and pull from one side to the left or center and then to the right, um, rather. And what about in the Philippines, though? Because we've had Duterte for six years there, and now we're going to someone who is the son of a dictator. Has he been running on something that's different than his father's legacy? What's interesting about Bongbong Marcos as, as he's been running compared to, let's say, Lenny Robredo, right? Lenny's profile and platform seem to have more concrete ideas, whereas Bongbong Marcos has run very much on a platform of unity, not really defining what that means, what that looks like, what types of policies are going to be implemented, and that coziness between Marcos and Rodrigo Duterte and his family, again, is of great concern. And kind of, you know, your question is, has he done anything different? He's really running on his family name. And I think that's somewhat of a difference. And much like a lot of countries all over the world, including the United States, voters are, you know, drawn to dynasties. And here's another dynastic <laughs> uh, dimension here in this election where you have a, a name uh, controversial as it is, that has a lot of name recognition and ID. Now, before he gets into this next reason, I should mention that in 2019, We Are Social and Hootsuite published a global report that showed that people in the Philippines are the world's heaviest internet users. And coupled with the fact that there's been a lot of misinformation, disinformation, you know, spread all over the internet, watering down of the Marcos family legacies and histories, 
um, you know, all of that is the perfect storm for, you know, uh, the election of Bong Bong into the presidency or what it appears to be. Um, you know, his victory. And I mean, I heard that his campaign is actually using TikTok to appeal to younger voters. Absolutely. Using TikTok, there are supporters who are using various platforms, YouTube, um, of course, um, you know, Facebook also very prominent in all of this. Again, kind of raising the question, too, about the use of social media and how do you, you know, kind of filter out lies. Uh, fabricated news, things like that. And, and this is certainly not unique to the Philippines, but this is something that you see certainly the case within the last several years in the Philippines. And the Philippines is one of the oldest democracies in Asia. And so I can't help as someone that is of Filipino uh, descent, but lives here in the United States to, to also compare to what's happening here in the United States. Right. And we've seen this in the years leading up to the Trump presidency, but certainly since Trump was president in the United States, you've seen this become not just an American problem, but a global problem uh, that is disinformation and kind of uh, undermining democratic principles. And it's interesting because, you know, I've seen already just today people being like, hey, remember the U.S. had a big part in propping up Marcos's regime when he was ruling over the Philippines. So what do they have to do with each other? Well, the relationship between the Philippines and the United States is a very complicated one, um, to say the least. And much of this, the short answer is that it goes all the way back to uh, U.S. imperialism and colonialism that, uh, of the Philippines since the late 19th century. And even though the Philippines has not been part of the American empire uh, since after World War II, those ties are still there. And the Philippines remains a very important ally to the United States, particularly on, around matters of trade and the military, broadly speaking. And so geopolitics in the last few years has been very complicated and very much one that's not been stable. Um, when Duterte came into office, he had a very critical opinion and, and critique of the United States and how the United States has had a heavy hand in a lot of its policies um, for decades. And then he seemed to kind of backtrack on some of those cr critiques and concerns. There's been a lot of, again, you know, with the switch administrations you had when Duterte came in 2016, that was, you know, really just kind of finishing off the Obama years and then kind of now going into the Trump years. And then now, you know, we're with Biden you know, I'm just more kind of curious to see what Biden is going to say once everything's kind of settled with the elections here. Who knows? I think he knows that this is going to be another thorny dynamic, you know, and because Bong Bong Marcos is quite cozy to the Duterte family, I wouldn't be surprised if there's also that kind of hard stance on the United States that's taken on as soon as he comes onto office. You know, I think the kind of major takeaways, though about the election results is just really being mindful of what's to come. Let's see how Marcos will handle the current issue that's been an issue since Duterte came into office is around human rights violations and respect of human life and dignity. Questions, again, around the South China Seas and who has, quote-unquote, control and rule over the area. And the other takeaway is what what kind of relationship will the Philippines have with the United States? You know, of course, when we talk about the Philippine diaspora, you know, of course, they're all over the world, but a large uh, amount of 
Filipino immigrants, first-generation Filipinos, and of course, their families live in the United States, and, and many of them have deep ties to the Philippines still, and not just family ties, but also economic ties. And so I'm sure that the United States and the Philippines are going to want to foster uh, a good relationship, even though, you know, there's still a bit of cloudiness and murkiness around what that'll look like um, with Marcos coming in. Again, Marcos not really having a very clear platform on a lot of things, especially around U.S.-Philippine relations. of Monday, May 9th was windy and cold, but it didn't stop outraged protesters, most of whom were Filipino, from gathering in front of the Philippine consulate to express their grief. Just like at any other vigil, there were battery-lit candles, but this time for good governance, democracy, accountability, sovereignty, and human rights. Quite a few people took to the microphone, including this young activist and organizer. Um, hi, my name is Jester Gutierrez. Uh, I am the local coordinator of Malaya Movement South Bay, a grassroots organization fighting for human rights, sovereignty, and democracy in the Philippines. Uh, overall, I've heard varying levels of disappointment, of anger, but at the same time, um, not surprised, unfortunately. I think a lot of people that we've been talking to over this election season understand, um, you know, in the Philippines, what you know, the process of vote buying, of political dynasties. So unfortunately, it seems like another politics as usual, but it feels very high stakes because, of course, with Bongbong Marcos slated to win, right, we see a return of another Marcos. And given, you know, the very deep history uh, with martial law, with uh, the Marcos family, it's very upsetting for many people. I think what we're noting is there's a very, very powerful political family uh, pulling the strings and noting, you know, the, the deep history of patronage politics and as well as understanding the rise of social media and how to really grasp that to be able to peddle this sort of fake news or this uh, historical revisionism of what actually happened with the Marcoses. You know, there's been views that maybe if Marcos Jr. comes into power, he'll share the gold of his family. Um, and people believe those things. And these things spread like wildfire because there's a very sophisticated disinformation network that's been set up. So I think that's definitely a big part of it. But then, uh, you know, the overall political climate of the Philippines is such that, you know, you have the power, the influence, the money. It's very easy, unfortunately, to sway, even though there has been a huge, you know, uptick of volunteerism that was coming out of the Lenny Robredo camp. So even that, even the, the big show of force in the streets wasn't unfortunately enough given the historical power that the Marcoses have had in the Philippines. We're really demanding justice and accountability of the system. Uh, there's many different organizations out here, but we really want to demand a complete and thorough investigation of how the Kamalek has been also running this election and really wanting to resist the return and reject the return of another uh, Marcos Duterte leadership or government. So, you know, it's been a hard six years. <laughs> we don't want to see, um, you know, the same amount of killings, the same amount of impunity to return. So there's a lot of ways that we're also just voicing our outrage, uh, but also being in community with one another. What do you think is going to happen now? Like, what can people do to sort of... I don't know, aid in that effort. Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of it is being critical about um, you know the the support that also the United States gives to the Philippines. I know you mentioned earlier what sort of impact right uh, does this have or why why should also like people in the United States care? You know a lot of our tax dollars also go to uh, military spending, to funding the police when we know there's been uh, bloody drug war, there's been um, you know counterinsurgency tactics that veer into the territory of labeling anybody who speaks up against the government as terrorists, right? Um, so we don't want to fund that. Like, we definitely don't want to do that. So we have, a lot of us are involved in different campaigns, such as one for the Philippine Human Rights Act, uh, to really ensure that there are certain measures, certain ways that we can vet where our money goes to. Uh, and there's a system of accountability. We don't have our money go into funding human rights violations, which we've seen under Duterte and under another Marcos. Uh, we know how his father had been ruling, very, very violent, uh, lots of um, also torture and arrests. We really don't want to have that happen. So we're really looking at how can we be more vigilant and accountable to where our money goes to, um, as well as you know the relationships that are forming between the Philippines and the United States, especially when you look at a long-term strategic way that the U.S. has viewed the Philippines as sort of this a strategic place near China. Um, so using it as a place to station their military, but not actually caring about the impacts on the people, right? We also heard from someone seeking asylum from Duterte's regime. I am Ara Chaudi. I'm a filmmaker and a member of the Human Rights Organization and Artist Collective Takila and an asylum applicant. I believe we've been cheated. Duterte promised us change in 2016, an end to veteran politics, impunity, and economic disparity. He lied. He moved people into position and red-baited his critics while filling his and his friends' coffers on pandemic relief funds. Let's not forget his cavalier attitude towards the lives of the poor. Protesters chanted, In speaking from personal experience, it wouldn't be a gathering of Filipinos without song and prayer. Oh God of justice, truth, and peace, we always be the that what we ask for On my way out, I spoke with someone who worked in the journalism industry and was impacted directly by Duterte's regime as he openly targeted journalists in the country, with 22 journalists killed during his presidency. Um, are you here with like a group? I passed by it, but I was um, checking out if there was any rallies or protests going to go on. Um, if you're comfortable, what's your name? I- I'm Shanika Gonzalez. Um, I used to work with ABS-CBN, so oh. I was directly affected with Duterte's administration. How were you impacted by Duterte's regime? Because I know you know you work yeah, for ABS, but I worked with ABS. Um, I was fortunate not to be one of the employees that was retrenched, but we were eleven thousand employees, and like three thousand were left. So it was very difficult for us. We we had colleagues who couldn't take it, passed away, had heart attacks, and it was very depressing that time. ABS CBM presented all the documents that we were able to present. We paid our taxes. We we paid everything that proof that we could still be as a company but i don't know for personal reasons i heard is that um duterte had like a personal agenda against it and it was related to the marcus how um the marcus also shut down abs cbn years 
years ago. So I already, you know, my, my grandma, she lived through World War II yeah. in the Philippines. And um, growing up, she would not let me go with my dad's family. She was like, no, like, I, I'm, she didn't say it out loud, but she's okay. like traumatized, you know. Right. And even the last six years, I've gotten questions from people. Oh, you're going to go visit the Philippines. I'm like, yeah. I'm a journalist. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't know exactly. what that would mean for me, you know. Ferdinand Bongbong Marcos Jr. has already said he would shield Rodrigo Duterte from investigations by the International Criminal Court. Filipino news site Rappler, which was started by Duterte critic Maria Ressa, reported that Bongbong claimed the ICC can visit the Philippines as, quote, tourists, but won't get any help from the government. Rappler also reports that since the election, Bongbong has visited his father's gravesite calling him an inspiration, and his camp saying the late dictator instilled in his son, quote, the value and meaning of true leadership. And following the election, there have been comments online calling Filipino people stupid and hopeless for giving into misinformation and electing Marcos Jr. and Sarah Duterte. But in reaction, there have been calls for, especially the diaspora, to ask themselves why this has happened and to have compassion for a country put through the ringer of imperialism, and one that has also been a target of revisionist history. New episodes of Bay Current are out every day, and we'd love to be a part of your daily routine. Please subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app, or just about anywhere you listen. We're also on YouTube on the KCBS Radio YouTube page. That's it for today's Bay Current. I'm Mallory Samara, in for Matt Pittman. We'll chat with you again tomorrow. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.